Well, hello and welcome to the Plate Talking UK podcast. My name is Neville Bounds and this is episode 280. Welcome and uh, welcome to uh, tonight's co-host, Matt Smith. Uh, well, hello everyone. Hello. This is uh, this is unusual, isn't it, Nev? It's been a while since it's just been you and me. Mm. <laughs> the skeleton staff. Not, yeah. not that we're saying that we've um, become very thin. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> far from it. In possible, fact, but, um, yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah. Just you and me tonight, so, mate. <laughs> just two of us tonight. Yep. Yeah, so, it will be uh, fine. How's your week been, Matt? What have you been up to? Oh, really busy actually. We've been doing lots of. Uh, I've been lo- doing lots of driving. Obviously, that is the occupational hazard. I know. So I've been uh, shooting around, uh, uh, doing lots of driving. But uh, uh, what was it? Well, I've got. I had Cambridge one day, and um, and then London, and then um, oh, and then like Clacton one day this week, and all that kind of thing. I'm off to Cambridge again tomorrow. Oh, and Birmingham NEC on Friday. So yeah, they've been throwing me around most most of the country. I think the last few days. How about you? Mm. Uh, yeah, well, this has been the first week of my new job, uh, so there is a lot to learn. Uh, uh, my poor pea-sized brain was a bit sort of. Uh, sent to mush I think on Monday and Tuesday <laughs> of this week because there's just so much incoming information but uh, bet, it's bet. been brilliant and um, I'm working with a, a, a fantastic bunch of people um, so that's that's really good so I'm re- really enjoying it and uh, yeah we'll have to see how we get on but uh, no I'm, I think it's a great uh, great company I'm working for now and uh, they're headquartered in uh, Portland Oregon oh I on see. the north coast so um but yeah, they've everybody's been really helpful and very friendly. So that's been uh, massively helpful to me. I've got to say. Yeah, so, no, no yeah, better. No better way of starting starting a new job than sort of finding you know a good team to sort of help you out. Really, is it? It's uh, it's good. It's it's exciting times. Are you enjoying it? Yeah, exactly. I am. Yes, and uh, no, I think it's. I, I've known this company for a while, and uh, yeah, they're a really nice bunch of folks and uh, nice products. So it's sort of in the same sort of area, but this time I'm working for a manufacturer directly, which is which is really great. So, wow, uh, very exciting! Yeah, looking forward to doing lots with them. So yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, what's uh, what's Carlos up to? Why isn't he here? Why well, he I, so I, I I believe because we we couldn't do it last night because I ended up working because um, we nor- obviously normally we record the show on a Friday, but we've had to do it on the Saturday because of my commitments basically. Although I he wasn't available Friday either, was he? He was basically not available this weekend. Um, and uh, this weekend, I think tonight he's actually. Um, I think he's at Dunstan Hall doing somebody. Somebody got married. I think that's the long and the short of it. Oh yeah, <laughs> one of those silly people yeah. got married. Uh, so yes, there he, he's out doing there. Uh, Armando is working. He's, uh, I think, throwing people out of a perfectly functioning aeroplane, if my memory serves. So um, yeah, he's uh, he's having a good time there. <laughs> It's uh, yeah, it's all, it's all part of the fun, so, as yeah. they say. So we we've got a got a few people in the chat room there, which is nice. We've got uh, Captain uh, Jeff, Captain Jeff's in the chat room, uh, along with Lane Street, Doctor Steph is there, Richard Adams, Chris Griggs, uh, to name but a few. Uh, so I, I guess we should uh, get on with it. What do you reckon? Shall we? Uh, shall we do? Let's some... do just that. Indeed, uh, he says. Sorry, I'm not used to doing this. I'm pressing all the buttons. Here we go. <laughs> Well, 
well, starting off on the uh, telegraph.co.uk website, and it's a BA story, inevitably. And uh, <laughs> it says that BA pilots would be amongst the highest paid workers ever to strike if they go through with plans to stage a crippling walkout in the heart of the summer holidays, insisting that a £20,000 per uh, pay rise over three years is not enough. Uh, proposed industrial action by pilots union Balpa could see more than 4,000 pilots strike at the heart of the summer holiday, paralysing the carrier and causing misery for tens of thousands of passengers per day. Uh, BA, whose captains earn an average of £167,000, has offered an above inflation deal worth 11.5% over three years, but pilots are demanding a bigger cut of the company's profits. Talks at ACAS, the conciliation service, were ongoing on Thursday after the Court of Appeal rejected BA's application for an injunction. If agreement cannot be reached, uh, strikes could begin on August the 17th, as the union is required to give two weeks' notice of any action. The deal was accepted by Unite and the GMB unions. Three years ago, BA pilots accepted a pay deal that was around a third lower than the current offer on the table, the airline said. But Balpa is arguing that while its members made significant sacrifices when the company was struggling as a result of the financial crisis, they should share in the profits now it has recovered. The airline has reversed its fortunes from a £230 million operating loss in 2009 to pre-tax profits of £2 billion in 2018. Uh, on top of this, they receive, uh, sorry, the, the, yeah, the BA captains, as I mentioned, are paid an average basic salary of £167,000. But on top of this, they receive an hourly flying allowance whenever they are on duty, worth up to £15,000 per year. They are also paid an additional £3.72 per hour whilst abroad to cover meals and other costs. Some BA captains are paid more than £200,000, whilst the average for all pilots is believed to be just under £90,000. Safety regulations restrict them to a maximum of 900 hours per year or just over 17 hours per week. By contrast, uh, Ryanair captains at Stansted are believed to earn an average of around £135,000. It emerged last week that among pilots' grievances is the fact that they will have to stay in less luxurious hotels during stopovers. A PA captain told the Times, it used to be five star, it's now four star. Some, I would think, might even struggle to achieve that. They said that the lower star hotels were noisier and disrupted employees' sleep, making it harder for them to do their job the next day. Uh, but a BA source told The Telegraph, whenever people fly some distance, they often stay the night. There's nothing in contracts that says they have to stay in five-star ho five hotels. Uh, members of G the GMB and Unite unions, which represent 90% of BA staff, have accepted the deal. Uh, the proposed action is expected to cost the airline around £40 million per day and will affect flights from all British airports, including Manchester, Stansted and Glasgow. Uh, Brian Strutton, Balper General Secretary, has blamed the airline for the timing of the breakdown in talks. Uh, we have tried to resolve this matter through negotiations starting last November. It is BA who has regrettably chosen to drag this out into the summer months, he has said. Uh, meanwhile, Ryanair has warned that up to 900 jobs could be at risk amid a drop in earnings as the airline faces higher fuel costs. Uh, Chief Executive Michael O'Leary said cuts were unavoidable, uh, unavoidable and uh, security workers at Gatwick 
are also due to strike for 48 hours in a dispute over pay. Uh, members of <clears throat> Unite, employed by ICTS, who scan passengers' luggage, will walk out at 6 a.m. on August the 10th. The union said that most of the 130 uh, workers are paid less than £9 per hour. So, mm. a lot going on there, Matthew. What do you think? Well, I mean... I don't know. I mean, I completely understand why, uh, you know, if they feel they've got a, a, a rough deal, if you like, I completely understand why they want to strike. The only thing that makes me a little bit nervous, I suppose, or a little bit unhappy, perhaps, is it's, uh, and I, you know, it's presumably been chosen for this time of year because it will have most impact on the business model, won't it? But you do feel sorry for those people who are having their annual holiday and, are probably going to have it ruined by the fact that the, that their flight is cancelled, uh, or or maybe not ruined, but like you know shortened by a couple of days. Uh, you know, perhaps if you're only going for a week in the first place, I mean, it's a big deal to lose a couple of days. So I do feel really sorry for those that uh, you know are having their their annual holiday. But on on the flip side of that, I completely understand why the pilots, uh, you know, are, are wanting to strike. Yeah, and I think this this has been coming for a long while, this whole thing. And of course, but you could also say on the flip side that um, August being holiday season, although massively inconveniencing yeah. the holiday makers, um, BA primarily, I would say, is a business airline. And therefore, True. most people involved in the world of business will not be travelling during August. But no. you never know, do you? No, that's true. I, but, I suppose uh, yeah, not. Interesting. Yeah, interesting times, as you say. We'll move on to the next story then. Uh, this is on the Irish Times. Uh, and uh, we're sort of going back in time with the, this one, actually. It says uh, the headline is mm. Flying Considerable Luxury, Ryanair's first ads in 1985. So as millions, so it's the May the 4th, May the 4th be with you, on the 1985, as millions of people sit in the blue and yellow plastic cabins of Ryanair planes this summer, it can be easy to forget the humble beginnings of an airline that has changed the landscape of travel for so many people. Back in 1985, on the 4th of May, the origins of Ryanair were detailed in the Irish Times under the headline, Flight to Knock Stays in the Air. A new airline was launched yesterday in a flight uh, with a flight from Dublin, to uh, Connacht Re Regional Airport at Knock, uh, County Mayo, uh, the article began. But much to the disappointment of the people on the ground, the 15-seater aircraft didn't make a landing. Uh, the, air the plane in question was a twin-engine Brazilian-designed... Uh, oh, no, what is it? Is it Ban... Banderati. Banderati. Wow, I've not heard of one of those before. Uh, which flew low along the runway a couple of times without touching the ground and then headed back for Dublin. A spokeswoman <laughs> said at the time that the airport at Knock wasn't officially licensed and therefore there was no way the plane could land. Thankfully, uh, Monsieur uh, James Horan, the parish priest of uh, Knock, was anticipating getting a license in due course. He hoped that the first flights would be taking off from Knock that October, heading for Rome, of course. The uh, new airline intends to operate mainly to Britain and the principal European centres. Uh, then the, uh, the then chairman of Ryanair, Dr. Ken Holden, was also on the flight and said that a number of private planes had closed down recently. A new alternative service was needed. Ryanair had at the time hired six pilots 
three hostesses and eight ground crew. The article ended with the news that the company was negotiating the purchase of a second aircraft. The airline establishment, the airline's establishment, had been announced in the newspaper just two days previously in a short news brief under a story about Aer Lingus. So it's almost hard to believe, isn't it, that uh, it had such. Uh, uh, humble beginnings. Genteel, the following weekend, a small advertisement appeared in the newspaper in the personal ad section. Point to point in comfort for less. The ad reads Ryanair can fly you and 14 others from just about anywhere in Ireland to just about anywhere in the UK or Europe. You're flying considerable luxury at whatever time suits you to a point that would frequently be far closer to your actual destination than any scheduled flight could land you. Of course, nowadays you could argue Ryanair have gone completely flip side the other way, and now if you want to end up in Rome, you're nowhere near it. Uh, <laughs> a race meeting, an exhibition, a business appointment, a day out with a difference, whatever. Tell us how, you, um, how many you'll be and where you wish to fly. We'll quote, and we guarantee you'll be pleasantly surprised. The most genteel ad is a far cry from the brash advertising campaigns Ryanair would uh, come to be known for. So a month later, in June 1985, the airline had upped its advertising game with the characteristic tongue-in-cheek segment already emerging in those early days. How to enjoy a thoroughly unfair business advantage, the ad declared, fly Ryanair instead and get there first. Now, I have to confess, I, I, the story goes on, but I, I won't essentially I have to confess I didn't realize it Ryanair started if you like almost as a private charter rather than you know very much like mm. the net jets of its world uh, of the world yes very much so and uh, yeah it's in interesting isn't it how from very humble beginnings mm. uh, it is uh, essentially one of the biggest what it is yeah absolutely yeah. massive it's one of the biggest uh, certainly one of the biggest European airlines out there isn't it you know it's yeah, uh, certainly but uh, yeah, I, I, I wonder if um, I wonder if they wondered if that's how it was going to end up. <laughs> you know, so just being... well, I, I, as usual, these business models. You, you, that, well, no one really knows, do, do they? No. Um, from from when, when the, the whole thing starts. But, True. Uh, yeah, interesting. True. Um, well, um, moving on to CNN travel, uh, it uh, talks about um, pilots and the consumption of alcohol. Oh. Uh, and it says that the arrest of an airline pilot on suspicion of being under the influence of alcohol has, has travellers wondering about alcohol policies for commercial pilots and the screening in place to detect behaviour that could endanger passengers. Uh, a Delta Airlines pilot was taken off a fully boarded plane on Tuesday morning at the Minneapolis St Paul International Airport after specific sp suspicious behaviour in a TSA screening line for crew members uh, prompted further investigation by airport police. Um, and um, well, it says that um, the United States FAA regulations for commercial pilots are clear. Uh, the FAA's drug and alcohol regulations specifically prohibit pilots from performing flight crew member duties for an airline with prohibiting drugs in their systems. They also restrict pilots from flying or attempting to fly an aircraft within eight hours of consuming alcohol if they have an alcohol concentration of 0.04% or greater, according to FAA rules. Pilots may not use alcohol while on duty or within eight hours 
of performing flight crew member duties. Uh, the regulations also require uh, that crew members submit to blood alcohol tests when requested by law enforcement officials authorized to ask for those tests. Tests include random drug and alcohol testing, testing for a reasonable suspicion of alcohol and or cause, uh, post-accident drug and alcohol testing, return to duty drug or alcohol testing following successful rehabilitation, and follow-up drug and or alcohol testing. A transport, uh, Transportation Security Administration uh, does not screen crew members for drugs or alcohol. However, if a TSA officer suspects that a, an aircraft crew member is under the influence of drugs or alcohol, they're instructed to notify a supervisor who would notify local law enforcement, according to the TSA. Uh, airlines also have policies that may expand upon the FAA rules. In a Delta Airlines statement responding to the pilot incident in Minneapolis, the carrier said that Delta's alcohol policy is amongst the strictest in the industry and we have no tolerance for violation. Delta is cooperating with local authorities in their investigation. Uh, the airline did not immediately respond to requests for additional details about uh, its alcohol policy, but uh, internationally rules around alcohol for flight crew members vary by country with guidance from the International Civil Aviation organization uh, so yes um, another incident but actually I say another one but they are really far and few between mm, uh, I, I, I'm hearing lots and lots of this sort of thing going on so but you know that's mm. Yeah, this well, it's, it's it's the same thing, isn't it? I suppose it's, uh, but you could say that about any industry. Um, you know, in my industry, for example, I mean, you you are essentially. I mean, there are some coaches, for example, where you have to blow into a tube, and if your alcohol level isn't the right, they won't even let you. You know, start the engine um, with with that. I, it's um, mm. yeah. I, I you I guess you just sort of assume that they'd be more professional about it, wouldn't you? Really. And uh, you shouldn't even enter into their yeah. head. That uh, uh, well, yeah, I, th I, th I think it's um, yeah. Th these things do happen, but mm. as I say, they're they're fairly very rare, rare events. From, from what I can, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah. Anyway, on to the next story. This is on mm. Flight Global, uh, which we like because it's a fabulous font. Uh, and the headline is, uh, basically, Airbus has determined that the A320neo is potentially vulnerable to an angle of attack protection weakness, which could result in excessive pitch altitude under certain circumstances. Now, obviously, we touched on this story last week. I know you weren't here, Nev, but uh, the condition is different from the excessive pitch anomaly uh, recently discovered during analysis of the larger A321neo says the European Union Aviation Safety Agency although it appears outwardly similar so the EASA stresses that the condition has never been encountered during A320neo operations uh, neo sorry not nero <laughs> uh, but it says that a reduced efficiency of the aircraft's angle of attack per protection under certain flight conditions and in combination with specific uh, commanded maneuvers 
from the crew could lead to excessive pitch and a higher workload. The scenario has been uncovered during analysis and laboratory testing of the A320neo flight control laws. Uh, Airbus has developed temporary revisions to the A320neo flight manual to address the condition and EASA has ordered operators to amend their manuals accordingly. Uh, the changes limit the centre of gravity envelope for the aircraft. Airbus has also issued loading uh, recommendations. Both the CFM International Leap 1A and Pratt & Whitney uh, PW1100G versions of the aircraft have been affected. Uh, ES EASA has opted for quick implementation of an airworthiness directive requiring the changes within 30 days of the 14th of August postponing the commentary period un uh, until after publication. It measures the um, uh, it measures uh, it measures follow let me try that again its measures sorry about that yeah. uh, follow yeah. the discovery of a behavioral issue with the elevator and aileron computer uh, on the larger a321neo which also affected uh, angle of attack protection under particular conditions the ea SA has previously issued a similar preventative instruction involving flight manual changes and balance limitations and has identified the specific computer units that have been affected. Airbus is working to develop a flight control law amendment for the A321neo which will become available next year. Hmm. A bit like doing a firmware update on your router, isn't it? Really? Yes, um, risky but, at so, best. <laughs> a, a slightly more safety critical thing, though. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, with obviously these fly-by-wire aircraft being heavily um, reliant on computer technology mm. uh, and the software and firmware that goes in it, there are always revisions and there's always stuff going on. And uh, I don't think Airbus is any different to anybody else uh, in, no. in that respect. No, unfortunately so, not. Um, yeah. So, uh, yes, if I could trouble you to move on to story number eight, please, Nev. Indeed, yes. Well, um, this is on the USA Today website. And uh, it says that uh, EasyJet left pass passengers stranded on an English Channel Island for three days. Oh. <laughs> uh, it said that EasyJet apologised to more than 130 passengers after they were left stranded on a British island in the English Channel for three days. An EasyJet flight was supposed to leave Jersey, uh, a British uh, possession located off the French coastline on July the 30th, but a technical issue snarled the flight's departure. Uh, the airline said it was unable to fix a problem with their original plane and speedily located a replacement. Uh, we are very sorry that flight uh, EZY 6474 from Jersey to Newcastle on 30th of July was delayed overnight. EasyJet spokesman Holly Mitchell told USA Today in a statement. This was due to a technical issue with the aircraft which required an engineering inspection. She added engineers attended the aircraft but unfortunately this could not be resolved which caused a further delay. The flight was due to operate this morning but the issue was unable to be resolved so a replacement aircraft will operate the flight from Jersey later today. Uh, passengers and their family members have expressed frustration with the airline <laughs> on social media. 
Um, uh, so my parents were scheduled to fly home from Jersey on Tuesday, and they're still stuck in the airport with all the other passengers waiting for the plane to be fixed. Twitter user at absolutely underscore Andy wrote <laughs> early Thursday morning, Eastern Standard Time. Making them get on a plane that is taking two plus days to be fixed is torture. Surely you can do better. Been stuck in uh, Jersey Airport for 48 hours. EasyJet passenger Rosie Ryan wrote uh, several hours later. We were due to depart on Tuesday afternoon, and now it's Thursday afternoon. I know all the staff, the staff in duty free, by their first names, <laughs> and also know their blood type. Oh. I'm very over it. What an extraordinary statement. Um, Ryan <laughs> shared a photo with USA Today on Thursday before boarding a flight. USA Today has reached out to Ryan for further details about the experience. Uh, we understand the frustration this will have caused to our customers, and we continue to do everything possible to minimize the impact of the delay, Mitchell added in the EasyJet statement. We provided for hotel accommodation and meals, as well as an option of transferring to an alternative flight free of charge. She noted that customers are also entitled to compensation in line with EU 261, referring to the European Union legislation governing compensation for passengers who are subjected to flight cancellations, long delays or denied boarding. Hmm. Well, it's one of those things. Sorry to be, sounds a bit glib about it, but yeah, it's terribly unfortunate, but these things happen. And Would they that, were in, in hotels, so... You know. What's all the fuss about, really? I mean, the thing is, is yes, I, I appreciate it will have been very uh, frustrating that, um, you know, the airplane basically went tech. Um, but these things do happen, don't they? I mean, it can't be. Surely, um, you know, they've done 100% completely the right thing by, you know, an engineer's come out and he said, no, we can't do anything about it now. I mean, I suppose this, this is the only potential problem perhaps when you have got someone like Ryanair or EasyJet where their, their schedules are so tight. It is going to, it is going to be very difficult to, uh, to sort it, you know, to sort of just, get, you can't just get another aircraft there, can you? Because obviously what, what they do have will be heavily committed already. Yeah, exactly. And the, the you know, the, um, the, the amount of, or, or, or especially this time of year as well, the, the tight schedules that they've got, the quick turnarounds, you know, mm. there's, there's no room for, for slack at all. So, um, yeah, and these things happen and they are terribly inconvenient, but better to be tech on the ground, I say, than 35,000 feet in the air. Yeah, absolutely. Agreed. Yeah, I don't know. Be good fun. <laughs> as I say, I mean, well, it's not. It's not like they were made to kip on the air on the airport's floor, is it? Either. I mean, they'd sort of been. No, found no they were all uh, hotel. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, and actually, which, you know, I do think it's not easy in no. in Jersey. It's in a small. Of the, you know, it, it's it's a small island, and there are limited hotel uh, facilities, uh, exactly. especially this time of year, yeah. like in the middle of the summer. Definitely, yeah. Anyway, on to the next story. This is um, a slightly disturbing story. I'm not. I'm not going to lie. This is on the Fox News Network, uh, and the headline is: Rocket launcher discovered at BWI Airport. Second one found this week. 
So military equipment was seized at Baltimore Washington International Airport on Thursday. Uh, the second such seizure in days after it was brought back on a military flight by a US Air Force sergeant who kept it as a keepsake. Uh, the rocket launch tube was discovered around 5.20am in the American Airlines baggage area of the airport located in Maryland. The Office of the State's Fire Marshal's Bomb Squad has announced. Uh, before being flown to the US, the inert equipment was inspected by US military officials for safety and was empty of any explosive hazard, according to a press release from the office. It was returned to the country by a sergeant as a souvenir of their time abroad. Authorities said that the tube presents no immediate threat to anyone on the ground, but noted there is a slight chance that it, can, it could contain uh, pressurised gas and was therefore not allowed on the sergeant's connecting commercial flight. Uh, the rocket launch tube was taken in by the bomb squad until it can be safely returned to the owner. The Transportation Secretary Administration, the TSA, reminded passengers earlier this week not to bring in explosives or devices that shoot explosives onto airplanes, uh, even if they're just replicas, after finding a fake grenade and a real missile launcher at two different airports. Earlier this week at BWI in Maryland, TSA uh, agents found a missile launcher in someone's checked luggage. <laughs> that passenger said he was active military personnel travelling home from Kuwait and also wanted to keep the missile launcher as a souvenir. The TSA also discovered a grenade at Newark Liberty International Airport in New Jersey in someone's checked luggage. Explosive experts eventually determined that it was actually a highly realistic replica of a grenade. Um, <laughs> Military weapons are not permitted in checked or carry-on bags, said the transportation agency, which did not immediately return Fox News requests for comment regarding Thursday's equipment seizure. Now, uh, I, I, yeah, this, this is a bit of a tricky one, really, isn't it? There's a couple of pictures here, actually, which I will just uh, uh, pop up, if I may. I mean, it, I don't know. I mean, Mr. Military Man should have known better, shouldn't he, really? Yeah, you see, missile launchers, uh, either real or replica, you, you shouldn't really be doing that on aircraft. No, know? I mean, it's different, uh, obviously, because the first leg of his journey obviously sounded like it was using military transport. So, I mean, obviously, they will know exactly what it is. But, I mean, you can't blame the T, the, the TW, or the T, is it TSA, TWA, sorry. Um, yeah. Yeah, you can't blame them yes. for literally thinking, uh, no, uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know. No, not, uh, not good, is it? But a bit of a fail there, I think, on, on the part. Yeah. But, uh, you know. Tricky. Well, it is what it they is, live I and guess. Learn. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, this is—I mean, in, in some respects, again, I find it quite comforting because it could have potentially not been uh, deactivated, and yet it—you know—and yet it was picked up by airport security. So, so perhaps we should be sort of comforted, perhaps, by the fact that it went through the X-ray scanner yes. and was found. Yeah, exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So that's something, and that's what they're there to do, isn't it? So it is. Uh, yeah, all's well that ends well. Finally. So. <laughs> Well, the, uh, the next story is on the SF Gate, which is from San Francisco, sfgate.com. And it says that another major airline retires the Airbus oh, A380. No. And, uh, incredibly, this week, uh, Air France announced that it will retire its fleet of Airbus A380 double-deckers by 2022, instead of making a significant investment to update them. Uh, the carrier says it will now focus its long-haul fleet growth on the Boeing 787 Dreamliner and the Airbus A350. 
In a statement, the airline said the current competitive environment limits the market in which the A380 can profitably operate. With four engines, the A380 consumes 20 to 25% more fuel per seat than the new generation long-haul aircraft and therefore emits more CO2. Uh, increasing aircraft maintenance costs as well as necessary cabin refurbishments to meet customer expectations reduce the economic attractiveness of Air France's A380s even further. Keeping this aircraft in the fleet would involve significant costs whilst the aircraft program was suspended by Airbus earlier this year. So, um, yeah, I think th th there's going to be more of this going on because, um, yes, two engines are more efficient than four, especially with the new generation uh, aircraft. Well, well, and of course, fuel, fuel prices in general, aren't they? Not just in for aviation, but I mean, you know, worldwide, mm. fuel prices are going through the roof, aren't they? So if it's uh, if you can essentially do the same job with, with smaller engines, then you're going to, aren't you? Also, I think, um, you know, quite a long time ago that there was concern about um, you know, reliability of just having a two-engine aircraft going long distances. Mm. That largely has been uh, not the problem. Yeah. Uh, because they, they know how to operate. There's the special uh, thing called ETOPS, uh, which means that there are especially uh, special builds of aircraft and, and crew and routes which are designed for these aircraft. So actually, um, it's not much of a problem now. And I think no. this is where four-engine aircraft are really losing out mm. and of course there's only two four-engine aircraft around or three actually which is the a340 uh the 747 and the a380 yeah. do you think so, perhaps uh, so this, this is a slightly hypothetical question but i do wonder perhaps if the a380 had come around was sort of released around about the time that the 74 was released you know perhaps if it had been created you know years ago uh, rather than in these slightly more challenging times should we say i mean I, I think we'd be talking very fondly about the a380 as a lot of people do now talk about the the 74 i mean it's you know it's a beautiful aircraft there's no two ways about it yeah i think you're right and and, and i think it's just one of those things which um has come at the wrong time it, mm. it's been the perfect storm really for uh, you know, fuel prices being quite high again, and they, they you know, it's all about operating the aircraft profitably you know, yeah. on a per and seat basis. There's no, no two ways about it. Yeah, and, uh, and of course, realistically, we aren't going to see, um, you know, fuel prices drop, are we? I don't think. I think. I think they're no. And you've got to remember that it's the accountants running the show <laughs> yes. these days. Yeah, um, and and they like to see low operating costs. Yes, yes, it's, really, it's all about profits and shareholders, isn't it? Let's be honest. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> on to uh, the next story. This is on the Cambridgeshire Live website. And uh, this is, I suppose, for anyone who's flown out of there, won't be a massive surprise. Stansted ranked the second worst airport in the world for delays. Uh, Stansted Airport has been ranked the second worst airport in the world for delays. A new global study of 106 airports has revealed which have the worst record for flight delays and it seems our nearest and dearest Stansted did not come off too lightly. According to the study, European airports uh, were some of the worst in the world with six of the bottom ten for catching an on-time flight uh, European 
European flight. Uh, the, <laughs> the UK itself scored dismally with Manchester Airport ranking in 96th place, Gatwick Airport 93rd place and Heathrow um, at uh, 65th. That's not bad actually when you consider how many flights are going out of Heathrow every single day. Overall London Stansted was ranked the second worst airport in the world for delays just behind, uh, is it Sioka... Siakano Hatta International Airport in Indonesia, yeah. apparently. Yeah. Um, and uh, yes, uh, so Stansted uh, seems to have a rather worrying background when it comes to flight delays. In 2018, an investigation revealed that it was the worst airport in the world uh, for exactly that. The airport blamed this on adverse weather conditions and air traffic control issues. Now the airport has placed itself... Uh, itself second globally for the highest number of delays in Stasher's most recent study. The airport does seem to be taking its negative reputation seriously though and reports reveal it has received a multi-million pound investment from Ryanair of all people to help deliver significant service improvements to flight punctuality. Popular luxury honeymoon destinations like Indonesia, the Philippines and Vietnam are also likely to experience flight delays. Brussels and Lisbon were also in the bottom five. Commenting on the findings, Stasher's co-founder and CCO, uh, Anthony Colius, said that there is nothing more frustrating than arriving at an airport in good time to find out that your flight has been delayed. Our, our latest study has produced some fascinating and unexpected results. Uh, it's uh, great to see so many airports with a low flight delay rating and those who are underperforming investing money and expanding infrastructure to improve passenger experiences to accompany the study as stasha has created an interactive map where you can explore the world's best and worst airports in more detail ranked by a number of factors including flight delays quality of food outlets distance to city center cost of parking and number of lounges so uh, uh, the only thing it doesn't list here i was hoping to sort of see the list in more detail because it says it's the the second worst airport i was intrigued to know who the who um you know sort of perhaps it, who, what what was in the top 10 Hmm, yes. Or do you think they might have mentioned that, mightn't you? Really? Mm. Yes, but there we are. Never mind. It, you know, I, I suppose as far as Cambridgeshire Live is concerned, the only one they care about is is the one at Stansted. So uh, there we are. Never mind. But yeah, 65th for, for Heathrow, given given the fact that there's so many flights going in and out of there. I don't think that's bad at all. No, indeed. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I'm sorry if I lost you there. I had to restart my computer oh, did you? to... Uh, a bit of a technical moment. Oh, uh, blissfully unaware. I carried on regardless. Uh, <laughs> nobody would have ever known if you hadn't said anything. Uh, okay, so uh, I think we've got one more story left, haven't we? We have, yes. This is on the PRnewswire.com. Uh, and it says that uh, uh, Make-A-Wish kicks off Trips That Transform, a month-long celebration of the approximately 12,000 wishes for children battling critical illness in the US and its territories each year that involve travel and the donors that make them possible. Uh, Life-changing wishes like six-year-old uh, Maxim's wish to go to Hawaii, which led to an unforgettable week spent relaxing on the beach, searching the shore for shark teeth, and most importantly, 
quality time for his family to simply focus on each other. Uh, Maxim's wish was a chance to pause life's responsibilities and focus on fun and family, Maxim's parents said. Being granted time away like this brought tears to our eyes. With 75% of wishes requiring air travel, Make-A-Wish needs almost 3 billion airline miles and points to fulfil travel wishes for children battling critical illnesses each year. Uh, right now, we're only able to grant wishes for one out of any, every two eligible children, said Richard Davis, uh, President and CEO of Make-A-Wish America. Uh, travel wishes are waiting and their fulfillment is dependent on the ongoing generosity of individual and corporate donors who contribute their unused airline miles, expiring travel points and dollars. Once donated to Make-A-Wish, airline miles and points never expire and each goes on to help Wish kids and their families take flight to destinations around the world. Uh, travelers can donate on uh, air miles and points from American Airlines, United, Delta, Southwest and JetBlue. Throughout August, Make-A-Wish will also celebrate the generous national travel sponsors who make impactful wishes possible. Sponsors like Allegiant Air, Airbnb, Avis and many others whose contributions of mission critical resources allow Wish kids and their families the much needed escape from the reality of battling a critical illness. Travel wishes are more than a trip. They're often a more important component of a, a Wish Kids treatment plan, continued Davis. We are extremely grateful for all of our national travel partners, which each play a vital role in giving children a world of hope when they need it, most through transformational Wish Trips. Uh, to make, to learn more about how Wish Trip uh, can impact the lives of everyone involved and enable future wishes, uh, follow Make-A-Wish and Trips That Transform on Instagram and you can donate, donate airline miles and points at wish.org forward slash travel. Well, that's pretty that, good, isn't it? That's, that's a really nice, cool. I didn't a realize, nice story. Yeah, I didn't realise you could actually donate your air miles, if you like. Yeah. So you could sort of almost donate it without you cost without directly costing you something, which is, which is yes, quite exactly. nice. I mean, uh, I, not me personally, but I know one of my friend one of my friends um, was very very poorly, and he did, he he very he got like one of the coolest experiences you could possibly ask for, off the back of the uh, Make a Wish uh, Foundation, or the UK version, obviously here, because he had um, leukemia um, when he was younger. And it was at the time that they were filming the third um, part of the Matrix series. And his, his Make-A-Wish um, uh, opportunity, if you like, was to be one of the extras in, in the big scene in Zion when, when um, just before all the, um, where, where um, Morpheus gives his big speech. And it was, it was amazing in lots of ways because he had this incredible experience that he was sort of basically not allowed to tell any of us about until the film came out <laughs> but, yeah. so, but it's a it's a it's an absolute brilliant uh charity and i mean as i say again i suppose for the the family it also gives like like with this when you say like going to hawaii and you just think well why does he need time to sort of sit on a beach mm. and look for stones but of course uh, look for shark's teeth but of course it's not it's not really for him is it it's more for the family to to get as much quality time um with them you know while while either recuperation or, or you know make the most of the time that they've got i mean it's a brilliant brilliant charity yeah couldn't agree more absolutely but yeah. uh, 
so that's where we wrap up the um, commercial aviation section. Indeed. Of the show. Indeed. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll re- be, we'll be, uh, we'll try that again. Uh, we'll be right back after these short messages. Find this and other great shows at the Aviation Media Network. The Voices in Your Head.com. The Plain Talking UK podcast is a voluntary project that aims to keep you informed with the latest aviation-related stories from newswires across the globe. Producing our content does cost money, though. If you enjoy our show, why not help us keep on the air by making a donation towards the server and website hosting fees through PayPal. Any contributions would be greatly appreciated. Are you an Amazon user? If so, why not do your shopping through the link on our website? There's no cost to yourself, and Amazon pay us a small referral fee on qualifying purchases. To find out more about the show and to meet the team, take yourself to our website website www.plaintalkinguk.com or find us on facebook at facebook.com forward slash uk on twitter via at uk or get in touch via email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com thanks, thanks for, for listening, listening. Flyby 5823 Trent Dane for 23R Manchester Wizz Air 6X Client Flight Level 210 Direct to Bretman's Park United, one, two, three, maintain two, eight, zero knots. Something to DME, turn right onto Bravo, link. Do one, join Alpha, hold at Mora. Speedbird 472, LOC slash DME, approach runway 27 left. Follow the green stand 544. That's enough air traffic control for today, Nat. Bedtime. So we came up with the idea of having a video course. Obviously ours are are better because we've got the experience on the aircraft and we know what we need to be looking at. Something that myself and Andy started initially really to improve our own technical knowledge and put something out there. We saw that there was a gap and this wasn't a media that was being used for this purpose and our hunch was right because there was obviously a market for it. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to fly a commercial passenger jet? Looked up at the sky and thought, I wish that was me? Well now anyone has the chance to have a go at flying in a real aircraft simulator. NP Simulations and Flight Experience London, the only official Boeing licensed product of its kind in the UK, offer you the chance to fly anywhere in the world in their fixed base Boeing 737-800 flight simulator. And that's not all. Ground School London offers many different courses for the up-and-coming pilot looking for a start in aviation. With prices starting at just £109, the sky's the limit. So for the ultimate flight simulator experience or engaging preparatory courses, including those for schools and colleges, check out the websites at www.london.flightexperience.co.uk and www.groundschoollondon.com or call on 020 300 40 616. NP Simulations. Fly your dreams. And well, there we are. <laughs> we are yes. back. Yes. Welcome back. Indeed. So, what do you reckon? Should we bash on with some military, sir? Let's do that, yes.
Well, this is from the uh, combataircraft.com website, and it says that the uh, VFA-14 Top Hatters, which is the uh, U.S. Navy's oldest and boldest air squadron, marks its centenary in September. Uh, informally nicknamed the LIDS in U.S. Naval Aviation Circle, this squadron and uh, was traced in uh, combat aircraft's uh, September issue, which is uh, out this week. Uh, the unit's unbroken service dates back to September the 1st, 1919 uh, in San Diego, which became North Island in 1955. Uh, although first led by uh, Commander James H. Toome, Commander Henry C. Muston took charge on October the 22nd. Uh, Mustin was an early naval aviator who had conducted the world's first catapult launch from a ship in 1915 and is today uh, and today is held by the squadron as being Top Hatter 1, the initial commanding officer of the unit. Today the squadron flies the single-seat FA-18E Super Hornet uh, the top hatters initially received uh, block one production standard uh, FA-18Es, the first example uh, being uh, number 165870 that was taken on charge on March the uh, 22nd, 2002. Uh, by the time VFA-14 deployed on March the 3rd, 2003, the initial war plans for Operation Iraqi Freedom were already held in secure storage aboard USS Nimitz. Uh, when the carrier was still a week from way, a week away from entering the North Arabian Gulf, VFA-14 Ford deployed two jets alongside a pair from VFA-41, some 2,700 miles uh, via Diego Garcia to arrive in USS Abraham Lincoln on March the 31st. The carrier was already two weeks uh, into OIF missions. Uh, the four Super Hornets, all flying in five wet configurations, each carrying four 480-gallon external tanks and centrally mounted buddy airborne refueling stores, uh, brought a much-needed additional organic refueling uh, capability to Lincoln's CVW-14, which was relying on four VFA-115, FA-18Es, and S3B Vikings up until this point. Uh, after four days of operation from Lincoln, the jets returned to Nimitz. VFA-14 continued at the forefront of the opening phase of OIF until the carrier came about in the Arabian Gulf on September the 3rd. The top hatters have flown 23 different aircraft types, plus seven sub-variants and operations from 32 aircraft carriers. Since the end of World War II, Squadron has undertaken 41 major deployments, justifying the squadron motto, the oldest and boldest. And you can read the full story uh, uh, in the September issue of Combat Aircraft, uh, which is on sale now. Ah, very sneaky. I yeah, like yeah. how I like how they squeeze that in there. Yes. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Is it the, the, the is it the is it the Hornets? Is that what they use? Um, is that what the Red Arrows use? What do they use? Uh, no, they use hawks. Oh, hawks. My apologies. Yeah. Sorry. I, I should be in trouble for that. 
<laughs> I should be in trouble. Anyway, on to the okay. next story. This is on, on Nev's favourite website because he likes the font. Uh, it's flightglobal. Uh, flightglobal.com. And the headline uh, or the, the story leads basically with the UK Royal Air Force, the RAF, is on track to restore its lapsed maritime patrol aircraft capability within the next nine months, according to Air Commodore Rich Barrow, senior responsible for uh, senior responsible owner for the services Boeing uh, P8 and E7 acquisitions. So speaking at the Royal International Air Tattoo on the 19th of July, one week after the RAF's first P8A Poseidon airframe had made its flight debut, Barrow said that from the 1st of April next year, we're going to have UK maritime patrol capability operating from UK soil for the first time in a number of years. The UK's two first two P8A Poseidon MRA-1 crews have already completed training at the US Navy's uh, NAS Jacksonville site in Florida, while uh, other members of its personnel have retained maritime patrol experience via Project Seedcorn uh, placements with uh, the USN and other nations over the past decade. Uh, the UK's first aircraft is now uh, having its mission system equipment installed at Boeing uh, in Washington, uh, having been transferred from the manufacturer's uh, nearby Renton final assembly facility. After supporting initial training at Jacksonville from later this year, the asset will be flown to RAF Kinloss uh, early in 2020, ahead of being moved to its home base at RAF Lossiemouth, uh, following the completion of a runway resurfacing uh, enterprise. So when we get uh, both, uh, that when we get those aircraft, we are going to be using them as soon as we possibly can. Barrow said, missions will include providing protection for the Royal Navy's continuous at sea deterrent force of Vanguard class nuclear attack submarines. The RAF has lacked, uh, has lacked uh, a, um, a dedicated maritime patrol aircraft capability since 2010 when the last of its BAE system Nimrod MR2s were retired. Meanwhile the service is also making early preparations for its future use of the E7 Wedgetail airborne early warning and control system aircraft from RAF Waddington in Lincolnshire. Its 8 squadron will transition onto the 737-based uh, type from the Boeing E3D Sentry with initial operational capability planned for the second half of 2023. Describing the five aircraft deal confirmed earlier this year as a really pacey program, Barrow notes, we couldn't hang around. It's not a capability gap that we can afford to take. Barrow said the UK's plan is to stay uh, is to stay in lockstep with lead wedgetail operator the Royal Australian Air Force with regard to future updates to the E7 system. It's a lot smarter if we work together with them and if effectively co-fund stuff going forward, he says. The capabilities that we will be able to build on with that platform going forward and the capabilities that its Northrop Grumman MESA active electronically scanned array radar has inherently in it are absolutely huge, Barrow says. So yes, I, yes, it's got to be good news if they are going to uh, a, a plug a gap essentially that we've had in in our military armament, I suppose, since twenty ten mm. at least. Here's a thought: Aren't the military stories the most difficult to read? They are a challenge. Ever? Yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, Armando makes them look so easy, doesn't he? 
he's just like but then i suppose his background means it actually means something to him he actually understands it so uh yes come back armando all is forgiven but uh yes it's good i i do you know what i like this idea of like because obviously with you know with the our australian equivalent if you like the royal the royal australian air force i like the fact that we're working closely with get them developing um you know infrastructure i think that's a you know a really sensible idea you know sharing resources yeah totally absolutely um so uh, well it's gonna be a bit of a short show tonight mm. um because well there's just the two of us and yeah don't want to hear it no indeed. there's some important stuff to talk about as well so um we are going to be at the uh biggin hill uh festival of flight air show on oh, yeah. saturday the 17th of august i don't know whether matt's going to be there but fingers I know crossed we'll see yeah okay well definitely carlos and i are going to be there mm. um we're just waiting for the media accreditation thingy to come through yes um so that should be good we're looking forward to that i think a number of uh ptuk listeners are hoping to join us absolutely well. and is, of course if you are able to join us why not ping us an email uh to sort of let us know that you're coming and then obviously we can we can look out for you at the biggin hill festival of flight on saturday the 17th of august that's going to be good fun isn't it i'm really looking forward to it haven't been to an air show this year and it, i feel like um you know i, I feel like i I've, I've missed out uh so far yeah actually that's a good point isn't it i was just thinking about what we've done this year we've done lots of stuff but we haven't been to an air show yeah yet. we haven't yeah, actually so. been to an air show yet which is sort of a little bit it's normally our staple go-to isn't it but uh yeah i, I suppose know. it's just uh yeah. one of those things again before we uh wrap up the show uh i just uh we, we were sent a, a video by andrew hall uh which i think he found on facebook actually um but uh, this this is a little bit of a one for um uh for uh, jen niffer i think because it's uh yeah now I, I, what do you reckon about this video nev do you think this will buff out <laughs> oh well it, it, i mean oh, yeah. ouch yeah <laughs> I, I think that's going to need a little bit more than teacup on that one isn't it that's got a nasty i don't know how on earth you would accidentally do that let me just uh do that one again look at the state of that it's horrendous isn't it so for those of you listening to the audio version basically uh, a set of air stairs have been shoved into the to the the rear end of the aircraft. I don't, I don't know what uh, what you well, would call exactly where the um, auxiliary power unit is. You know the, the engine that powers. Right. It. So the the owners of that aircraft, Deutsche Lufthansa, will be extremely cross about that. I dare they, say they, they will. I'm not quite sure how you would get it that wrong. Do you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know what was going on in, in somebody else's mind there before, for something like, like that to happen. Anyway, that is, I'm sorry to say, where we bring episode number 280 to a close. I'm sure normal service will be resumed again next week. Well, And uh, yes, uh, hopefully uh, there'll be more of us so we can uh, you know, we'll have, have some more experts on board. What do you reckon, Nev? <laughs> Yeah, looking forward to that because, yeah. um, yes, all very well talking to us or listening to us, but uh, yes. it's nice to have uh, some people that really do this. Really do know what they're talking about. So the good news is the show this week won't take up very much space on your phone uh, if you're listening to the audio version uh, why not get in touch with the show though uh, you can send us an email on podcast at plaintalkinguk.com if you'd like to interact with us on social media just search your chosen social media channel for plain talking uk i'm sure you'll find us from there and the website www.plaintalkinguk.com uh, that's it that's where we bring the show to a close uh, say goodbye nev yeah, take care. Have a nice time. See you next week. Take care, guys. Bye-bye.